Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining us today on Heritage Events Live. I don't know about where you are, but it's currently snowing and sleeting here in Washington, D.C., but we've got a great event in store for you today, Building Tomorrow's Army Today, Modernizing with Science, Technology, and Engineering. Well, as many of you may know, over the last three years, the Army has reimagined its modernization organization, its priorities, and its programs. It has done this to orient on great power competition, marking a significant departure from the previous 15 years of counterinsurgency operations. In somewhat of a wake-up call, then Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Gen General Joseph Dunford testified before Congress in June of 2017, saying that in just a few years, if we don't change the trajectory, we will lose our qualitative and quantitative competitive advantage, and the consequences will be profound in my judgment. Well, to prevent that fate, the Army stood up a new command, Futures Command, eight cross-functional teams and established six modernization priorities. As part of the stand-up of Futures Command, the Army moved the Research Development and Engineering Command, or RDECOM, from Army Material Command to Futures Command. And they renamed it the Combat Capabilities Development Command, which is admittedly a mouthful to, uh, to Combat Capabilities Development Command, or DEVCOM. DEVCOM has the mission to provide innovative research, development, and engineering to produce capabilities that provide decisive overmatch to the Army. Today, we are fortunate to have the leader of DEVCOM, Major General John George, here to give us an update on how things are going. We'll hear from General George, then I'll ask him a few questions uh, to get things going, and then we'll turn to you, the audience, for your questions, which as our uh, Support person mentioned you can enter right at the uh, at the click at the tab for questions and they'll come right to me and I'll pose them to our guest. So that'll be very exciting. But first, let me introduce uh, Major General John George. General George assumed command of the Development Command about a year ago in November of 2019. He's a 1988 graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, who has served for 31 years in a variety of key leadership positions including deployments to Kosovo and Afghanistan. His most recent position before his current command was as Chief of Staff of the Futures and Concepts Center in Army Futures Command. He holds a Master of Science degree in Social Psychology from Pennsylvania State University and a Master's degree from the Industrial College of the Armed Forces. Well, I now invite General George to join me on camera and to provide some remarks. Hey, Tom, thank you, um, and it's great to be back with you again and uh, have this opportunity to share with you and, uh, and those that are um, online with us. Uh, appreciate the introduction. Uh, look, I just I want to start with a little bit about um, DEVCOM. You mentioned uh, we're Combat Capabilities Development Command um, is, is our full name, um, and it's a lot easier to say DEVCOM, uh, and so when you hear DEVCOM, that's who we're talking about. Um, our mission really is to be the scientific and technological foundation of the, of the modernization enterprise. Uh, we do that through world-leading research, development, life cycle engineering, and analysis. 
And we accomplished that with a team of more than 15,000 scientists, engineers, analysts, technicians, and support staff. And we're at over 90 locations in CONUS in the United States and over 20 uh, locations overseas. Our primary organizations, uh, you've probably heard of these, uh, the Army Research Lab, and we have seven research and development centers. And those are focused uh, across the country on armaments, aviation and missiles, uh, C5ISR, chemical biological defense, um, data and analysis, ground vehicle systems, and, uh, and the soldier. And then we also have three forward element centers overseas as the international face of DEVCOM uh, to identify partnership opportunities, facilitate interaction with foreign uh, governments and uh, non-government entities, as well as industry, and to promote interoperability among our allies. So it's a large and diverse team, really a team of teams, and we have that one goal, provide comprehensive research, state-of-the-art technology, uh, development, analysis, and engineering services that produce capabilities to enable our Army to modernize and be effective in multi-domain operations as part of the integrated joint force. And so, uh, as General, as uh, Tom mentioned, uh, we, uh, we're part of Army Futures Command and uh, under, under General Murray. And General Murray is leading a persistent modernization for the Army in order to provide future warfighters with the uh, concepts, capabilities, and organizational designs needed for that future operating environment. And so like the rest of the Futures Command and the Army, we're, we're laser focused on the six Army modernization uh, priorities and support to uh, the Army cross-functional teams, those eight cross-functional teams. But because we also do um, fundamental research and foundational research, we're focused on what the possibilities are for the future battlefield, the what could be's. Our scientists are working today to make science fiction really tomorrow's soldiers' capabilities. So to illustrate how uh, we do this, um, I'm going to talk about a few topics uh, to show how we pursue technologies from an idea stage to working with our soldiers and transitioning capabilities that soldiers use in the field. So three things I'm going to talk about just real quickly, and I'll turn it back over. First, Team Ignite. Um, Team Ignite is a, a concept that brings together DEVCOM technology forecasting expertise and the Futures and Concept Center's ability uh, as a other part of Futures Command to develop concepts and requirements. So I'll come back to that. The second uh, component is what we're doing with Project Convergence as the Army's campaign of learning, uh, where we do S&T in the dirt, in soldiers' hands, and in formations, uh, so we can mature our technologies and learn about how do we integrate them uh, in order to converge capabilities for the future. And then lastly, I'll talk just a minute about a couple of, ex of experiments that we're doing with soldiers uh, one is expedient leader follower, and the second is manned unmanned teaming. And these were really two capabilities we've been working uh, with soldiers on recently. In fact, I just saw one of them last week at Fort Louisiana at the uh, JRTC Joint Readiness Training Center. So first, Team at Night. Um, Team at Night really started as a collaboration between us and DevCom and the Futures and Concepts Center, where I came from in my last job. And we did that to enhance Army Futures Command's ability to enable modernization um, against this increasingly sophisticated and capable um, peer competitors and adversaries. And it's really focused this year on uh, artificial intelligence, autonomy, and robotics. Those are General Murray's priorities for us this year. And what he wants to do with uh, Team Ignite is really to back up the Futures and Concepts Center's 
their concepts for the future force, as well as future investments with hard data, sound analysis, and then um, really a grounded projection into the future of what's possible. I'd say it's really about linking up our scientists, our engineers and technologists uh, with uh, those who are writing the concepts and writing our future requirements. Uh, and uh, ultimately, we want to create a culture of collaboration and connection so that we always have the right, um, the right expertise together very deliberately and uh, um, thinking about the future. So again, creating a culture of connection or collaboration, moving from historical happenstance, sort of the serendipitous collaboration that happened, uh, more to routine, repeatable collaboration with those right teammates together. And principally, um, it's, if you would imagine, you want our concepts writers to write about future, uh, the future operating environment and ways of operating in that future operating environment based on, based on science and not uh, um, imagination. And that's what we do on the concept side. And then for the requirements writers, it's giving them a grounded projection into the near future based on the technological developments we have in hand today or that are in, a pro in progress. And so we're also going to institutionalize Team Ignite. We're going to put uh, uh, process resources and metrics against it. Um, this past year, uh, we stood up a collaboration platform. We've got over 600 people, uh, participants there across 35 Army organizations. We had over 20 Ignite workshops um, over the last year, and that informed concepts such as the movement and maneuver concept, cyber, the brigade combat team, amongst others. Uh, and we also um, have had uh, seminars with allied partners, um, some industry and government agencies uh, to help us along the way. The second uh, component that I wanted to quickly talk about is project convergence. And I know most of you have probably heard about this, good bit of uh, press on Project Convergence 20. You know, we went to from experimentation and demonstration in under a year. We had over 750 soldiers, scientists and engineers um, and, and technicians at three installations over a thousand miles uh, in the field. Um, it included from DEVCOM nearly 200 of our uh, personnel uh, bringing the, the technologies out of the lab and into the dirt. Uh, we had 20 technologies in PC20, including uh, one that we call Firestorm. That's a software decision aid that uh, provides real-time real targeting and fires coordination uh, to decrease the sensor to shooter uh, time period. Uh, really going from tens of minutes to tens of seconds. Uh, we, of course, did a lot of data collection. The ARL team, Army Research Lab, alone and the workup for the, um, the uh, um, experiment produced 3.8 million labeled images from these multiple environments, including uh, work from um, Hunter Leggett, AP Hill, and Fort Bliss. And then at the actual event for Project Convergence, they collected over 76 gigabytes of data to inform our AI um, development. For PC21, we're well under the way, uh, under the way in uh, planning uh, for Project Convergence 21. One of the things I just wanted to highlight that we're focused on is creating or expanding our systems integration lab at Aberdeen Proving Ground that the C5 ISR Center runs. It's the entrance really for industry and our partners to begin to integrate their systems uh, uh, that the Army, as part of the, part of the joint fight, will um, rapidly and continuously integrate to converge effects. 
it's uh, the lab risk reduction effort, really. So we do it in the lab, we integrate, and we test before we put it into the field. Uh, it uses realistic, scalable, uh, tactical network architecture and um, technologies are integrated and evaluated in that environment so that we can see the stress across the network and how uh, we could have interoperability challenges. You can imagine it's really complex when you start putting Army systems together in this JADC2 environment, and then you connect Air Force, Navy, even DARPA and the Marines' capabilities. And so that's going to continue on. Um, it's really uh, it's, it's generated and it's uh, resourced through um, a lot of CRADAs. We have 70 CRADAs with our industry partners. Those are cooperative research and development agreements, and that allows our teams across industry and the government to work together in that environment. So um, that's 21 for Project Convergence 22. We'll be moving from joint to coalition partners, um, and uh, we'll be expanding in that in that scale. And then finally, the final point I wanted to talk about is we're really focused on soldier-centered design in DEVCOM and, and Army Futures Command. Uh, I just note over the next 15 months, we have um, over 250 soldier touch points and experiments that are uh, planned uh, so that we get our technologies informed by our soldiers' uh, feedback. As an example of this, I mentioned leader follower up front. It's uh, really, it's an optionally manned autonomous tactical wheel vehicle so that you have a driver and, a, and a, uh, another soldier in the lead cab, and it's followed by unmanned uh, follower vehicles. You can have multiple vehicles following a single vehicle so that driving into harm's way, uh, potentially you've got two soldiers driving four or more trucks uh, rather than having uh, soldiers in every single truck. And the objective is to operate uh, day and night in, in all weather conditions. And so we've got a lot of great feedback from um, the transportation company that's operating these systems at uh, JRTC at Fort Polk. And uh, we will finish our operational tech demo in uh, this fiscal year. And by 2024, should be able to transition a program from a program of record into uh, equipping the first uh, unit. And then the, the last uh, and final point is on man unmanned teaming. We've done experimentation in many different venues, but one of them was at Fort Carson, Colorado last year, it culminated in August, and uh, that was putting soldiers in a mission enabling uh, demonstrator where they were actually controlling a robotic controlled vehicle surrogate. Um, and we learned a great deal about how soldiers um, uh, have to uh, um, sit in the back of one vehicle, controlling another, the challenges that come with that. And it helps us develop the technology and to get it to where soldiers are more comfortable with it, it's more of an enabler, and we were able to work out some of the bugs uh, through that. So really valuable feedback, not only for us, but also for the um, next generation combat vehicle cross-functional team who are writing the concepts requirements and working with the, the, the centers of excellence um, uh, to, to formalize those requirements. So Tom, that's, those are just a few notes, uh, com comments or thoughts up front. Look forward to uh, the conversation. Um, I also just want to mention that I have my deputy, uh, John Willison, on the line, and uh, he'll join us. I might call on him uh, for some um, some help in the uh, question and answer period, as well as uh, Mr. Jeff Langout, who leads the Ground Vehicle System Center out in uh, Warren, Michigan, for us. Back to you, Tom. Thanks. Great. Hey, General George, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, really interesting. Uh, we're going to go to questions and answers now, and I, again, we're getting a lot coming in through the portal. I I encourage you to keep going, uh, keep putting them in there. We're gonna, I'm gonna do my best to get to all of them or as many as we can. 
uh, while we uh, get a few more, I'm going to ask uh, at least a question or two here. Uh, first one, General George, you know, as opposed to the, like for the first half of the last century, now DOD relies on the private sector, industry and academia for much more of its science and technology than it did in the past. And, but, you know, as you mentioned, your labs continue to churn out great uh, technological solutions for the warfighter, but that, you know, until we get that into equipment, it, it, it's not connected. So I'm wondering if you could address how does this information that you generate in your laboratories, how does that get into the offerings uh, that industry provides the Department of Defense and, and also how well if, is that system working in your judgment? Uh, no, it's a great question. Um, we really, we are focused on transitions and deliverable. deliverable. So it's a, it's a great question. Um, it does really all start with our scientists and engineers though. So the scientists and engineers that are working on these um, generally are working with partners in the lab environment. And so whether it's a CRADA, whether it's a patent agreement, uh, whether it's a contracted work with our partners in industry, there's that collaboration going on in the lab. Uh, and so as the scientists and engineers um, work, work on this, they also attend, you know, you can imagine workshops, information exchanges and conferences. Um, but the most deliberate way that we do that really is through these uh, cooperative agreements. Uh, and I, I would just say, uh, lastly, one of, the, one of the ways that, uh, you know, we have Army Research Lab that's doing the foundational and fundamental research. They are um, integrated in to uh, multiple hubs across the country where they are able to work with academia as well as industry uh, at regional sites. And so when they're there working side by side with the partners um, through these mechanisms that uh, protect intellectual property rights or share them adequately through the agreements, that's the, I think that's the real foundational way we share with our industry partners and even license patents to them to use uh, should they choose to do so. Great, thank you. So next question. Um, one of the Army's big priorities uh, is next generation combat vehicle. And underneath that is the uh, optionally manned fighting vehicle, which is uh, they're working on it this year, as a matter of fact. Uh, last July, the Army requests, uh, released a request for proposals for the vehicle, which at the time they mentioned might include the option for the government to include a design, which was, you know, I think that was kind of a big surprise to the people that watch this kind of stuff. Obviously, your ground vehicle center would be the player in that effort. And then later on, the Army, or the, yeah, the Army, in fact, said uh, they ruled out submitting a design. And can, um, not a lot of explanation. I was hoping you could tell us uh, what took place. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, a, it's really kind of fascinating. I, I mentioned earlier, I got Jeff Lang out on the line who leads our ground vehicles uh, system center. I'm going to see if Jeff, uh, Jeff, can you pipe in maybe and provide some clarity on that? Sure. Over. Yes, sure. Happy to. Uh, thank, thanks for the question. So, um, so appreciate the question. So, so it's really, you know, pretty simple. Um, well, it's pretty simple from my perspective. So at the Ground Vehicle Systems Center, we are the engineers that are directly supporting the next generation combat vehicle cross-functional team. We're the engineering expertise, the predominant engineering expertise that General Kaufman and his team uses to, to figure out what, uh, what, what they want to do. We're also the engineers that are largely embedded in the program executive office for ground combat systems or, or the, 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 and, and therefore the program office where this vehicle would be uh, ultimately built and competed. 
so as you can imagine, that right off the bat puts us in a in a significant potential conflict of interest because we would have been the engineers helping with requirements development, characteristics development. Um, we would be the engineers that uh, support um, the you know writing evaluation criteria and all the things involved that you would have in a in a competitive procurement. So when we started this, we we were hopeful that that uh, that I could um, you know wall off a piece of my organization uh, with individuals that had had nothing to do with either our cross-functional team or our program office that was uh, getting ready for the option man fighting vehicle, and we were hopeful that we could find enough people that that had that it had nothing to do with it, thereby uh, eliminating the conflict of interest clause. Well, that turned out to be uh, almost impossible because uh, we have so many folks up and down the chain through all of the uh, all of the the pieces that make up uh, what would be a, an option main fighting vehicle, and so you know we were really struggling, frankly, with with conflict of interest challenges. On top of that, industry, uh, you know, we we said all along one of the things that's going to be different about option main fighting vehicle is that we are really going to listen hard to industry, and we want to hear what they have to say. Well, industry made it clear that they thought there was too much conflict of interest. And so I think, you know, as time went along and, and uh, you know, data started materializing and, and facts emerged, it, it became clear that if we continued as a full-fledged competitor, that the chances, uh, even if we could get through the conflict of interest challenges, that the chances of protests and significantly long protests were were so likely that would only delay the overall program, you know, months and months and maybe even into years. And um, it just uh, that became that just became something that the, the Army didn't want to do. And uh, thus we were removed from competition. Over. Great. Yeah, thank you for that. That was really informative. Uh, I'm going to go to the audience now for some questions. They're coming in. And so I, and I don't want to leave any on the table here. Uh, the first one is from uh, Raymond Dubois, who I, if it's the same one, I think was a former undersecretary of the Army. And he asks, how do you, CCDC or DEVCOM, uh, relate to ASALT, uh, Assistant Secretary of the Army for Acquisition Logistics and Technology? Uh, um, so, you know, there's a couple of ways. One is at the um, ground level between our engineers and uh, the PMs. Right. So um, at the at the working level where the, the hard work gets done, um, as Jeff just mentioned, our engineers are embedded in the PMs and the PEO. So we have a talent pool of engineers as well as scientists that uh, continue to feed off of each other and then get into the work of the PMs. As you work up the um, sort of the chain of command, um, we inside of ASALT, they have uh, the DASA R&T for so it's the Deputy Assistant Secretary uh, for Research and Technology, um, which is essentially the um, policy and, and uh, oversight arm in the department, and um, and and so they work they work really with um, Army Futures Command, who now owns um, the SNT integration responsibility. For not only our uh, command, but also the Medical Research Development Command, SMDC, uh, they work with RICTO, and, and they're bringing together the program. And so from AFC to DAS uh, R&T, that's really where the connection occurs. And then we um, are certainly feed into DAS R&T through the Army Futures Command. 
an example of this is there's a um, there's a section in the NDAA called 233 that asked that gives us the opportunity to ask for exceptions to certain um, ways of operating that would allow the labs to be more effective. So we we route that requirement or that request through AFC to DAS R&T and then they um, integrate with OSD uh, uh, policy or OSD R&E on that. So that's that's sort of the, the connection, but the, we're close most closely uh, working together at the PEO to DEVCOM command level and then at the center to a PEO uh, level and then with engineers on PEOs and PM staffs. Over. Great answer. Thank you so much. This uh, question comes from Sydney uh, Friedberg. Very specific question. Uh, can you at, uh, speak to the newly announced CRADA with the Korean firm Hanwha? And, and the, specifically, he's interested in the significance of this new agreement with a major OEM in a, in a major non-NATO ally. This would be a short answer. No, I cannot. <laughs> uh, for Sydney, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not sure who the uh, CRADA is, is with. Yeah, you know, so typically the CRADAs, we've got over 600 CRADAs in DEVCOM with industry partners. Uh, and so these CRADAs are uh, agreements between centers based on their uh, competencies and, and industry partners. Um, and some, sometimes we have multiple uh, creatives at different centers, and then we have some creatives at the headquarters level that cover um, agreements with multiple centers. But I don't know the answer to that one, Sydney. Um, I can certainly uh, uh, try to find out, uh, but uh, unless uh, John Wilson or um, Jeff know anything about it, I'm, I can't answer you on that one. Okay, great. We'll move on. Sydney, we owe you something on that one. Uh, Christian Millard asks, how similar is your command, your your labs, those types of things with the other military branches. And do you share information? Do you have, is there any crossover between say the Navy and the Air Force um, and with what you do? Uh, great question. And um, uh, yes, absolutely. We, at, at multiple levels. Uh, so at the headquarters level, we have something we call the lab commander sync. And we meet on a quarterly basis. Uh, I meet uh, with my staff and the staffs of ARFRL, ONR. Uh, we have the Coast Guard also um, joins us. And uh, we share information about um, things that we're, you know, how do we measure ourselves for success? How are we doing for uh, um, delivering uh, capability? And uh, what are opportunities for us to work together at the lab level? And so then at the lab level and the center level, there are um, there are these cooperative uh, research projects going on um, to advance some of the cap capabilities. An example of that is at our Picatinny Arsenal, where the um, Armament Center is. And some of the work that we were doing for the Strategic Long Range Cannon uh, took advantage of the Navy's research on their big cannon systems. Um, in fact, uh, we were able to borrow some of their equipment to get us started really quickly. So we uh, saved a lot of time in that project, in that program. Um, so we're always looking for those opportunities. Uh, we have a great relationship with the other services. And um, uh, yeah, so, it, so it's, it's working well and, and uh, certainly gives us a greater opportunity to uh, advance our capabilities. Great, thank you for that. Uh, General George, another question, and this one uh, comes from Ellen Piccioli. I think I'm probably mispronouncing that. She's interested in uh, your thoughts on how researchers and academia can academia can engage with you and your team. What what would be uh, some entry points? 
Um, yeah, so first of all, there, for anybody that wants to work with us, uh, whether it's small business, non-traditionals, academics, industry, um, it's a simple way to sort of get engaged and for us to help you get to the right place, uh, because we do have these pockets of capabilities at our different centers. Um, on our website, sorry to direct you to a website, but if you go to the website, there's a link on the army.mil CCDC website that gets you to our technology transfer office. That technology transfer office essentially serves as a Sherpa for, for you to help you get connected to the right place. Um, one of the things that I would say to look forward to in the near future is in our team Ignite work, uh, we will have additional forums where we'll be opening up to academia and, uh, and industry. If you are interested in um, those opportunities and would like to hear more about it later, um, you can certainly send uh, send us an email on our website, uh, send it to the, our PAO, for example, and we'll make sure you get information about the opportunities for uh, for the conversations that are going to go under, on under Team Ignite, which is really a fascinating place to engage so you can see what we're thinking about the future and you can see how we're doing on developing technologies to address those uh, challenges. Great. Thank you for that. And, and we did have a specific question from Joe Tigges about how he gets involved with uh, project tonight, so that your answer was very helpful. Uh, next question comes from uh, Dan Roper uh, over at AUSA, and he asks, could you describe your collaboration with the joint partners that are going to be playing in Project Convergence 2021 and the, the release of the joint all-domain operations concept? Hey, Dan, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, so when we are building out PC21, ASC headquarters uh, has an OPT running, um, they just finished, for example, a week-long uh, series at the 06 level, and um, they are looking at the actual mission threads that we're going to run through. And those mission threads include our joint partners. Uh, the joint partners are on the OPT with us um, at uh, uh, General Richardson's level at AFC headquarters. He has a three-star GOSC. In fact, we have one meeting this Friday. And at that GOSC, he has his three-star partners from the other services joining him. And so we're working at that level to make sure in our planning and then in our execution that we're tied with our joint partners. At the lab level, um, an exciting thing that we're doing in the SIL, the Systems Integration Lab at Aberdeen, is we are laying in the pipeline so that we can connect to our joint partners uh, in the Air Force and Navy. So that you can imagine if we're running a mission thread that includes an F-35 in it through their gateway, uh, we now have a way to connect in the lab level to share information, actually shoot data across the network and see how that works out. You know, we're gonna work out a lot of bugs and uh, we're gonna uncover a lot of issues in our data architecture and the data fabric that we'll have to uh, work on in, in that. But we, we definitely are connected. It's Project Convergence has given us an opportunity to connect in a way that I haven't seen before. So I'm excited for the future opportunities there. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, Bobby Arnold asks a quick question. He's interested in uh, in medical care, and he's interested in you know research and development on medical care. And I don't I don't think that's part of your portfolio, but could you spoke speak to that for a moment? Sure. Yeah. So we have a medical research and development command that's actually part of Futures Command as well, um, and and that medical medical research and development command does the medical um, capability development. However, they're very closely tied with our soldier center at Natick. And so at Natick up in Massachusetts, 
the Soldier Center is really focused on uh, technologies or capabilities skin out for how a soldier um, can become more effective. In fact, uh, this, the Soldier Center has a program um, where they're outfitting soldiers to the 10th Mountain with, uh, Division in a battalion with wearable sensors, and they're learning a lot about you know sleep, rest, nutrition. They can actually monitor for COVID in a way that um, over time you can uh, have a baseline to know if somebody may be getting sick. Uh, that battalion is going to deploy with their equipment to uh, Afghanistan in the near future. So that collaboration between the Soldier Center and uh, USARIUM, the, um, an arm of the Medical Research and Development Command at Natick that does uh, environmental medicine, they work hand in hand and they actually share, um, also share research um, volunteers that the, the soldiers that go there and then spend uh, 90 days at a time and volunteer in both environments. So you're seeing skin out and skin in all in the same place to um, advance you know, how a soldier performs uh, or, and squads and how they perform. Excellent, thanks. Next question comes from uh, someone I think you'll know, uh, uh, General George David Komar, retired Brigadier General. Uh, he's interested in, so he, he can see a lot of effort going into modernizing the equipment of the Army. And he's he makes a good point that the equipment is maybe not even the most important thing. It's about how we develop our concepts and our operating uh, plans and that type of thing. And so he's interested, and I don't know if, if you can speak to this, but how do we ensure that the necessary intellectual work is being put in to concept development, the, the similar levels uh, of effort put into concept development and experimentation that we are applying uh, to equipment modernization. Dave, good to hear from you. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great question, and uh, you know, Dave and I have worked together in the past, and we know it starts with concepts and requirements. Um, you know, one of the things that we've reju re rejuvenated, uh, and Dave will you'll recall this as being Unified Quest. Uh, it was the it was the seminar series of seminar war games that uh, Arctic under TRADOC used to run, now Futures and Concepts Center. And, uh, and now it's called the Future Study Program. Um, under General McKean, who leads Futures and Concepts Center, in November, they just had their first um, event to kick it off for this year and getting at the intellectual, understanding the future operating environment. They're going to they're gonna look at the character of warfare in an upcoming seminar. They're going to do a Future Study War Game uh, towards the end of this year to really get after how do we shape those concepts. And uh, this is all the part of the beauty of one of the things that's really good about Futures Command is having DEVCOM and the Futures and Concepts Center together under the same command so that you're linking, and we're using Team Ignite to do that, but linking concepts with potential and uh, what the what we could do in the future um, so that we're shaping concepts and then we're actually getting driven by the demand signal out of those concepts. But uh, yeah, you'd be happy to know, Dave, a lot of that's been sort of uh, re-energized and, um, and, and at the end of this year, I think you'll see some reports coming out on um, uh, new, new views of the future operating environment and new potential ways of operating there. Thank you, General George. Great uh, question coming in from Deborah Casarati, and she's concerned about operation security, and so she appreciates all the great information uh, that you're sharing and the other things that the Army does to communicate its efforts, but she worries that, uh, as we've kind of been made aware, that there are other countries listening in uh, to our communications, including the Russians and, and China, perhaps. And so she's a bit torn on this whole, um, are we giving out too much information and interested in your thoughts on that topic? 
Yeah, Deborah, the um, it's it's a really good point, and uh, you know you can read about it. I've seen it in spades. We know that uh, our potential adversaries are, um, are are trying to get our information, and uh, they they will go to um, pretty lengthy measures to, I mean, frankly, steal uh, from us our intellectual property, and so um, it's a balance, though, right? It's and at the at the basic research level, when we um, operate with um, students at our uh, academic institutions, um, you know, how do you, how do you ensure that you're enabling freedom of discovery in very sort of broad, a broad sense of scientific um, um, discovery, uh, while at the same time, as you sort of get uh, closer to applied or advanced research, you narrow down and limit those that you partner with. And we are, we actually rewrote policy this past, not policy, but um, internal command policy uh, this past summer on how we'll manage that for the very reason that you're talking about. I will tell you, General Murray is very interested in uh, protecting our IP, and um, and I use IP and just, you know, our, our advanced capabilities. Uh, and we are uh, we're taking measures at uh, multiple levels to, to protect that, uh, to include uh, putting more things in uh, higher classification so that uh, it's a little bit harder to get after. Excellent. Thank you for that. So uh, this question comes from Nicholas Nell. Nicholas Nelson. Uh, he's interested. You spoke about your creatives with the industry. Uh, he's interested about how your relationship, your roles, your uh, with the UARCs, which I think is University Affiliated Research Centers and uh, FFRDCs, uh, federally funded research and development centers. Took me a second there. So your relationship with those types of organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, John Wilson, stand by, because I'm, I'm going to give just the basics, and I'm going to ask you to pile on. Um, I was just out to, recently in uh, California at the Institute of Creative Technologies, which is one of those UARCs that you're talking about. And uh, we guide their, uh, their work through um, the Army Research Lab, principally, and through the Army uh, Research Office. Uh, and and they so so you can imagine they have sort of uh, core competencies at these different UARCs that we rely on them for. Um, John Wilson, anything to add to that? Hey, sir. Thanks, and, and thanks everyone for uh, for joining in on this. So, yeah, I would quickly say we, you know we've got well we've got ten thousand engineers and scientists within our command. And we put about ten billion dollars out annually to partners, and that includes um, academia, industry joint partners, et cetera. And it's a recognition that you know, while we've got a lot of smart people, there's even more smart people outside our command than inside the command. So through the foundational research work that ARL does and then research work that the centers do, we, we manage or use the different UARCs as well as the FFRDCs as, as strategic partners. And in, in the case with the foundational research, We've got the job for the Army to manage those and, and to interface with those. And so you know, it's it's space-to-space space dependent, but they're an important part of the team. Over. Great. Thank you, John. Uh, next question comes from John Sabella, and he's interested about the how the experiences of the recent conflict in the, in the Nagorno-Karabakh area, you know, between Armenia and Azerbaijan, are affecting your warfighting plans, how you look at uh, the need for technology, specifically Azerbaijan's effective use of their loitering munitions and their other 
uh, drone-employed platforms? Uh, that's a great question, and uh, and if you've watched the videos like I have, it's a pretty um, pretty intense and uh, really uh, illuminates the risks that we have based on some of the um, UAVs uh, and and the, the threats that they can provide. You know, the Army's studying it. Uh, the work that uh, the Joint uh, Counter UAS Office is doing is is really looking at that. Um, inside of the Army, and the Army's the executive agent for that, for the Joint Counter UAS um, uh, project. But inside the Army, uh, when you go to uh, the Futures and Concepts Center, the um, Centers of Excellence, uh, that's really where the studying and the incorporation of of the um, the threat, uh, and, and to include um, the future operating environment, understanding that threat, then drives the chain of events that will ultimately come to us to help shape the technologies that we that we deliver. But I mean, frankly, um, we have technologies available now. There are so many counter UAS capabilities. Uh, we understand the threat pretty well. It's not so much a science and technology challenge as it is an integration challenge of existing capabilities and getting the right uh, capabilities out in, into the force. Um, but it's a it's a great point. It's that's one area that we watch. Uh, there are other uh, threat areas that uh, we keep our eye on, and it really feeds through um, the G2 channels, the Intel channels, into the concepts and requirements, uh, and ultimately to us to help find new solutions for them. Yeah, excellent. Um, quick question: We're in the lightning round. We're getting low on time. Uh, what's your relationship with DARPA? Uh, yeah, we so. Um, it, we we do work with DARPA, uh, but it's more it's at the center level, um, and we share what we try to do is is uh, share the work that's going on in a way that we don't have too much of overlapping effort, and then we share the outcomes of our research to inform each other. Um, you'd be interested to know, I think, that at Project Convergence 21, DARPA is going to bring some of their uh, capabilities. And so it's an opportunity for us to integrate um, really uh, sort of, I would call novice capabilities that are pretty low on the technological development uh, scale together. And uh, we'll continue to learn um, how the products out of the labs and out of, out of DARPA could potentially integrate together. It's, it's, they're a great partner. We always uh, you know, work to stay close with them as well as our other partners like the Engineering and Research and Development Center the Corps of Engineers uh, Center that uh, does their technology development as well as SMDC, et cetera. Over. Thanks much. Uh, this is probably going to be our last question. It's from Christopher Spillman, and uh, he's interested in, and I'll frankly uh, don't even understand the question completely, but that is, can you discuss some of the advanced technologies that you see as most critical to the Army's synthetic training strategy that you might be working on? Yeah, so the, we have a cross-functional team called Synthetic, Synthetic Training Environment, and um, they are uh, um, building uh, the the thing that I think is most important that they are building is this concept of having one-world terrain. Um, when you look at all the systems that the Army has used over time for whether it's training, uh, visualization, there are there are multiple feeds of different types of terrain models. What uh, um, General Maria Gervais has been able to do is narrow that down to a single feed that creates a, um, a shareable one world uh, view of, of the terrain that can be used in these multiple functional areas. I think that's probably the most important one. And then you see a lot of, uh, uh, you, you see a lot of the uh, virtualization 
in, in the goggles and and uh, and virtual reality or synthetic reality that uh, will will pipe in. Um, industry leads in most of those areas, and uh, so what what Maria has done is created great partnerships with uh, with industry to pull the best of breed into um, into her work. But I would say really it's the it's the train model that's the base of that synthetic training environment we've got to get right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, my apologies, we're out of time. And so if I didn't get to your question, that's my fault. Uh, what a great session. I'd like to thank our guest, uh, Major General George, for sharing his insights on, the, on his, his organization and all the great things they're doing. I'd like to thank the audience for joining us for this conversation. If you work at the Hill or a think tank or you just have questions, uh, we're going to provide you our contact information listed on the screen, and we'd love to continue the conversation. Immediately following this event, you'll receive a survey that we hope you'll complete so that we can bring ideas back to you about what we, what we can do in the future. And so and you can also check out the events that we have coming up at heritage.org slash events. I will mention uh, for your calendars that uh, we are going to have the Chief of Staff of the Army, General McConville, coming over on January the 13th talking about the new year, the new administration, and what he hopes to accomplish. And so, ladies and gentlemen, have a great rest of your day and a happy holidays, and thanks for joining us today.